This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nation Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Episode 10, our discussion on pediatric and adolescent Naffold and Nash. Plus, from The Vault, Conversation 15.3 from Season 3, in which Louise Campbell, Naeem Al-Khoury, Marcelo Kugelmas, and I discuss issues surrounding pediatric Naffold as they arose at the 2022 Chronic Liver Disease Foundation Conference. This conversation looks at three issues related to the explosion of pediatric and adolescent Naffold and Nash. One, Jorn Schottenberg and Naeem Al-Khoury discuss the the implications of this trend for cardiometabolic health, with Naeem referencing a recent paper from Dr. Tracy Simons, on which he's a co-author, tracking biopsy-proven NAVLD and NASH cases in Sweden among under 25-year-olds over a 50-year period. Results showed a doubling, tripling, or even more of hazard ratios for an array of MACE, major adverse cardiovascular events, in NAVLD patients, with the hazard ratios growing higher as the events become more severe, and with NASH having hazard ratios of 5 or higher. This leads Rohit Kohli to comment on the appropriateness of bariatric surgery in some of these very young patients. Two, Rohit and Naeem describe changes in the physiological structure of the disease between children and adolescents with transition occurring around ages 12 and 13 and affecting both zonal analysis and the presence or absence of ballooning. Three, there are unique challenges with NITs in children and adolescents, particularly pertaining to clinical trials. FIP scores are, as Naeem Alcori puts it, virtually worthless. And in terms of drug trials, we'll need a solution that does not require repeat biopsies on these very young patients. One key point emerging from this episode is that the effects of the fatty liver pandemic will be with us far after we've begun to implement new drug and lifestyle interventions for adult patients today. This is a big issue with far-reaching long-term implications. So sit back, listen, digest, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. I always think of the metabolic comorbidities. My patients are not metabolically healthy, but I imagine if you start being metabolically unhealthy at the age of 12, that must mean you get so much more trouble, not necessarily only liver disease, which takes more time, at least from what I see in the adult area. Do we know something about the incidence of like metabolic complications, heart disease in these children, like in their mid 30s, 40s? Are they prematurely developing problems there? Name Alcuri. Since you asked me about cardiovascular disease, I'm going to actually share a new paper that was just published and got uh, by Dr. Tracy Simon and I was one of the co-authors and this is a paper that came out of Sweden so in Sweden they have this nice registry called Espresso which is epidemiology strengthened by histopathology reports in Sweden and basically they have access to all the liver biopsies that were done at the 28th Swedish pathology departments so basically every liver biopsy done in the whole country of Sweden was available to us. And they looked at a period between 1966 and 2016, so over a 50-year period. And what we're looking for is really cardiovascular disease in patients that were diagnosed with pediatric NASH. So the age was less than 25 years of age, so we looked at some young adults also. And in that time period, we identified approximately 700 biopsy-proven cases of NAFLD and no history of cardiovascular disease, and they were matched to approximately five controls from the population without NAFLD. They are followed for about 16 years and we looked at incident uh, major adverse cardiac events. So this is defined as ischemic heart disease, uh, stroke, uh, heart failure, or cardiovascular mortality. The findings were very striking. So we found that in patients with NAFLD compared to the controls, that the risk of MACE, the hazard ratio was at 2.33. So about 130% increase in MACE events in patients with NAFLD. And there was in 
increase in ischemic heart disease with the hazard ratio of uh, 3, congestive heart failure with the hazard ratio of uh, 3.9. And because we had uh, biopsy data available to us, we were able also to look at uh, NASH, and we found that patients with NASH had actually higher hazard ratio for MACE events at uh, 5.2. So it seems like, you know, having a more aggressive histology on the initial biopsy was also predictive of cardiovascular events. And uh, finally, we also looked at cardiac arrhythmias, and there is a lot of literature now on the association between NAFLD and AFib. And there was actually an increase in the risk of cardiac arrhythmias in NAFLD compared to controls with the hazard ratio of approximately threefold increase. And I think what's important about this is that, as you said, you know, as the disease starts earlier, as they have more years to live with NAFLD, that you start seeing these metabolic complications develop. And it seems like they are associated with the severity of the baseline disease. So having NASH was associated with higher hazard ratio of cardiovascular events than just having NAFLD. Again, we cannot be so liver-centric. We have to realize the effects of fatty liver disease on the other organ systems, especially cardiovascular disease. So I wanted to share that data with you guys. And uh, this is, again, fully published now in GUT. Rohit Kohli. I was just going to highlight the step before we reach Dr. Al-Khoury, where their children, adolescents, who haven't uh, even, for the most part, not even reached adulthood yet, were undergoing bariatric surgery. And one of the ways the bariatric surgery organization, ASMBS, the American Society for Bariatric Metabolic Surgery, has uh, lined up the thought process for why children at this age should be considered under all the right circumstances is because of the long-term metabolic consequences of obesity. Now, outside of fatty liver, which of course we're talking about today, the biggest thing that jumps up is cardiometabolic. And in cardiac events and cardiac risk factors for cardiac events before metabolic surgery in adolescence versus three years after, Mark Bukowski and his group called Teen Labs, which is NIH-funded U01 multicenter trial led by Tom Inge, they have shown that there's a reversal in these risk factors for cardiovascular events. Uh, cardiovascular disease risk factors are completely night and day before and after bariatric surgery, or if you want to put it this way, weight loss. Louise Campbell. Naeem, can I can I ask? I thought that was a, a lovely paper. I just wanted to focus on the, the subtypes, the zones one, two, and three. Dr. Coley's done some work on that in the past, and it was particularly zones one and three. Can you describe that to me? Because it's not something I'm familiar with being described in adults in the zones in the way that it's described in children. And although I fiber scan children in the past, I don't now, but it's not something that I'm familiar with the way you describe the zones in this paper and the other paper. You know, I'm going to have Dr. Coley answer this question for you. That's his expertise. It's interesting. I mean, came out of large data sets, actually was a collaboration between Cleveland Clinic when Ariel Feldstein was there. And I, I believe if you're talking about the same paper I'm thinking about, Carter Kent was, was the lead author. And we talked about inflammation more in the portal tract area of the hepatobiliary milieu in children. And why that focus is there, we of course don't know. But in children, this inflammatory foci being more portal-centric seems to be the case. And has been shown in other cohorts as well. Though I will say that this is not a given. There is some consternation, some debate even within the pediatric community if this type 1 versus type 2 NASH truly exists. But definitely it has been identified enough times that there is a discussion. Just to add to this, so Louise, in pediatric NASH, especially in the earlier you know case series with Jeff Schwimmer, we noticed that there is less hepatocyte ballooning and especially younger Hispanic boys and more portal inflammation. Then it seems like there is a shift around the age of 12, 13 to more like an adult type where you see ballooning. And this has great implications if you're going to design histology-based uh, pediatric
psychiatric trials because you cannot count on the presence of ballooning despite what the pathologist will call NASH. And as you know, you know, the resolution of ballooning is the hallmark of what we call NASH resolution. So if you don't have ballooning at baseline, how, you know, how are you going to define NASH resolution? As Dr. Coley said, you know, the sporal inflammation piece is overlooked in the NAFLD activity score. When we talk about the NAS, uh, we look at lobular inflammation. We actually published a paper in the Journal of Hepatology looking at adding portal inflammation as a component to the NAFLD activity score. We developed a, a score called the Pediatric NAFLD Histologic Score. We didn't want to call it the Pediatric NAS because it sounds a little bit off. Um, so <laughs> we call it the PNHS. You know, in that one, we propose that you add actually two points for portal inflammation and you take your NAS from 0 to 8 to now PNHS that goes from 0 to 10. Unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of data to kind of implement this in clinical trials uh, and see if you can actually design trials based on this and calculate a sample size. So it's work in progress, but my hope is that we never have to biopsy children two times as part of a clinical trial. So the hope is that we can really translate the work and non-invasive testing from adult to children. But actually, I'm going to go back to Dr. Coley and have him tell you a little bit about all the limitations in NITs and kids. We do not have the same amount of data. We still struggle a little bit with the cut points for significant fibrosis. We don't have much on diagnosing NASH based on NITs. In adults, we have a lot about fibrotic NASH. So a lot of work that needs to be done. But I'll hand it back to Dr. Coley to tell you about some of the limitations and some of the promising aspects of NITs in children. Oh, thanks, uh, Naeem. Just stepping back from NITs for a second, you touched on the pathology and the need sometimes in clinical trials to have a similar endpoint before and after intervention. It's interesting because if you look at the clinical trials that have been successfully completed and published in children for NASH, some of them tried to use histology as an endpoint, such as the tonic trial. Then some of them saw the limitations of histology, <laughs> such as you just very nicely outlined, and therefore went to liver enzymes. And there's been a whole 360 cycle, depending on the outcomes from the trials, which all unfortunately have not been very successful, where you go back and forth between using liver enzymes or using liver biopsies. NITs, between the, the two, I think, large genres that they're there, specifically MR-based technologies such as MR-PDFF or MR-elastography versus the more ultrasound-based transient elastography technologies such as Fibroscan and the like. I believe each one of them has a little bit of a plus and a minus. When you think about the transient elastography methodologies available in the office point of care, of course, it's more accessible and it's easier to do. However, as soon as you have a little bit more of central obesity, there's published data behind this, you start to get less and less accurate in your readouts. And then, of course, normative data is hard to come by as well in pediatrics to begin with for both of these entities. When you look at MR technologies, of course, there's increase in accuracy, but now you're involving higher cost. And if you look at the earlier data, MR elastography seemed to be a strong signal. It came out of Stavra, Zanthakos, and, and the other uh, individuals in Cincinnati. Uh, however, they themselves have now published data, which calls into question whether MR elastography is the end-all and be-all of NITs in children. So we're still struggling a bit here. Even though I personally am using point-of-care transient elastography in our clinic, more probably as a prognostic marker for an individual patient. Uh, but to start to use it in isolation in a trial, I would struggle. I'm not sure what the other panelists think. Yeah, I mean, just to add to this also, FIP4 is completely useless in pediatrics. We've published data on the 
this. There is data from Korea. You cannot use FIPPOR to risk stratify pediatric patients. Patients can have, you know, FIPPOR less than 1.3 and have advanced fibrosis and vice versa. And this is well established, even in younger adults, you know, 2025. So you cannot utilize the AGA algorithm, the ACE algorithm. So that creates also issues for us in terms of risk stratification. As Dr. Coley said, to design trials on FibroScan, we don't do that in adults, so let alone to do it in children where we have less data, just because of issues related to variability. MRI, there was a paper uh, published by Miriam Voss and Jeff Schwimmer where they actually looked at patients randomized to a low-sugar diet versus just standard counseling, and they used ALT and MRI-PDFF, and they showed nicely that, you know, when you actually go on a low-sugar diet, you can reduce your liver fat, ALT. So I think this is very helpful if we're designing trials for metabolic drugs, let's say uh, GLP-1 agonist, thyroid hormone receptor beta agonist. I think that could be something to look at. It becomes more tricky when you're looking at inflammatory drugs, fibrotic drugs, you know, what would be an endpoint for you? And at the end of the day, just reducing liver fat and ALT will probably not be enough for the FDA to say that we have a drug that will be approved in adolescence. So we need something else. But we have some data on ELF, uh, but we don't have longitudinal data, just baseline data, mainly from Italy. We have, again, limited data on FibroScan, more limited data on MRE. You know, MRE has been great for baseline staging, but we, even in adults, we're not able to use it as a primary endpoint for non-serotic trials. And now we're looking at it as maybe an endpoint in cirrhosis trials, but this is not going to be the case in pediatrics. Luckily, despite everything we said, NASH cirrhosis is still very uncommon in children. So a lot of research that needs to happen. And I'm optimistic because as we get closer to FDA approval in adults, every company needs to develop a pediatric study plan. They're having conversations right now with the FDA, with the EMA, but the picture is not very clear. Again, we don't have clear guidance from the FDA on what would be an acceptable endpoint. EMA also still asking for liver histology. So we need a little bit more guidance from the regulatory authorities because, again, we will see these adolescents that have significant fibrosis at, at an early age where we need to use medications that we use in adults. So we, we need to generate that data as soon as possible. And my hope is that we avoid doing repeat biopsies uh, the same way we design now the, the phase three clinical trials in adults. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another innovative and inspiring conversation. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on podcast. Bye-bye now.